Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Wendy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy and Lucas Mora enthusiast, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> uh, I just love dribbling into dead ends and being completely unaware of everyone around me. I've always said that about you, mate. <laughs> How's it going, Nathan? Yeah, you know, more of the same, same walls. Uh, I've not, you know, been going down the pub or meeting with up to six people or whatever other nonsense I am continuing to um to shelter my vulnerable parents so it's uh it's more of the same for me and it looks like it will be for a little while longer but uh you know i'm coping good 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 buddy how you doing not too bad wendy happy that we won a game and i'm a kind of i'm over the the dullness of it and and basking in three points I, I kind of need to apologise to both of you for our last podcast because I was so downbeat and it really came across that way and it set the mood for the whole pod and I'm sorry for inflicting my misery on you both. Um, I must admit, no. I felt better after. I think I think that's what it feels like to lose under Jose Mourinho. I don't think that you should apologise for that. I think that, you know, you captured something very authentic that a lot of fans and uh, I would imagine also listeners were feeling about that game. So I don't think you need to apologise for that at all. Okay, you're very very generous it's always the there's always the risk when you record straight after a match and it is just you don't have any time to reflect but i'm not sure if time if time would have made you any happier i spent the whole weekend avoiding all kind of football uh, yesterday's match was the first game I'd, I'd watched since um since the sheffield united match so i'm not even sure time would have fixed it there that's not like you either buddy no no i like watching all the football but um i just i couldn't bring myself to do it so let's get stuck into the everton game uh it was a win it's a one nil win I I don't think it really felt like a win. Um, mm. Okay, where to start? Team selection, I guess, is a good place to start because that's let's take it chronologically. Uh, it, I guess there was some surprise that there were changes, but we expected a, a reaction after what happened at Sheffield United. Uh, Alderweireld came back into the back line for Davinson Sanchez and Harry Winks came into midfield um, at the expense of Berg- Delhi. Yeah, Delhi. Delhi, yeah. So we were playing Winks, Sissoko and Lo Celso in a 4-3-3 midfield. Um, did you expect more changes, Bardi? Did you expect these changes? Were you expecting Dyer to be out of the team? Was it a surprise I mean, I- that Sanchez was the one who missed out? I thought there would have been more changes. I thought maybe Mourinho would have kind of made a point, but then that's just not taken into consideration who Mourinho is and the fact that he would only ever make small changes. Um, when I saw the team, I was reasonably happy with it. Um, Alderweireld was back, and whether it was Sanchez or Dyer alongside him, it was just a positive that he was back because he is a calming influence. And I was happy to see Winks in there. We we missed a kind of a link man in, against Sheffield United, so it was good to see him back, and I, I was overall generally happy with him. Cool. And Nathan... When you saw the 11, were you thinking yes. this is 4-3-3? No, I was definitely thinking it was going to be a 4-2-3-1. Um, I, think, <clears throat> I think it came in the order that would suggest that the Celso would be deeper. But as uh, I am meaning to <laughs> sort of spell out at great length, the, the order of the names on the team sheet doesn't really mean much at all. Uh, but lo and behold, it was a 4-3-3. Um, or at least it was for the first half. 
Mm, not even the entirety of the first half, the first half an hour or up until the goal, roughly, I think. Um, and then uh, a quick switch to, back to the 4-2-3-1 with Lacelso moving forward into the number 10 role. I think um, I tweeted about this at half time, but I think that there was a tactical plan to... Um, to build our play really deeply with our advanced midfield line um, pushed fairly high up so as to break up Everton's pressing and give our deeper players more time on the ball. Um, I think that helps with that, Um, but also really slowed us down, meant that we moved the ball incredibly slowly, and I think that we all really felt that. Um, And then once we're a goal ahead, we moved to the 43-1. So we had a disagreement on this over Twitter. I thought it was uh, a move about our our defensive shape and about getting Lo Celso's pressing higher up the pitch and, and closing them down earlier. You thought it was more of an attacking thing? Yes, I did. Um, the way I saw I could be completely wrong on this. So in in the first half or first half now, however you saw it, uh, Tom Davis essentially went man to man on the Celso, which was really interesting. I've not seen uh, a midfielder go man to man like that for a while. I think the last person I saw do that was... Um, under Herrera for Man U, mm. under Mourinho probably. Uh, go, I, I forget who it was against, but he, it I, was I, Chelsea. It was uh, it was up against Hazard. He just well followed Hazard around. The well pitch. remembered, yeah. And and Davis wasn't anything like that, but he was like when Lacelso was in his zone, he was sticking really really close by him. And the, the time he kind of came out of his zone was the goal. Um, but I thought perhaps one reason for us switching from four three three to four two three one was to try and get Lacelso into that pocket behind. Davis and Gomez um, and in front of their defence to try and kind of influence things from there better. I could be completely wrong on that. That's that's just the way I saw it. I, I found... Um... I found the four three three okay actually. I, I wasn't expecting a great deal having seen the, the team selection, but Everton's midfield three of of Davis, Gomez, and Sigurdsson is so lacking in any kind of hard running really. Um, there's no athleticism or or real pre- physical presence there, uh, and they were very passive, which helped us a lot. But I actually thought we played quite functionally well. I thought Winks's passing was good. You know, he's constantly creating angles for forward passes, even if he's not playing the forward passes himself i thought sissoko was kind of fine a big improvement from his performance against sheffield united um he kind of yeah he wanted to do sissoko things, so that that was better and the celso is always neat and tidy I, I felt like the celso got a bit distracted by his aggression in this game uh he was he was on proper spiteful form he's definitely hmm. got like quite a, a dark streak in him the celso and you know he's having he's, he's giving lip to opposition players and he's, he's leaving a foot in here and there and i felt he got ruffled a little bit and and that kind of took his eye off the game that was happening around him to some degree, but he was he was fine. And so the the move to four two three one I didn't really get, and I don't think it made a huge difference. Um, the thing that I think had a big impact in our on our team and, and our, the way we played was the selection once again of uh, Lucas Moura. Nathan, wh- why do you think Mourinho is so loyal to Lucas right now? <laughs> I don't know, man. Because he has that capacity to like summon a chance out of nothing and, and turn on a dime in the box because he covers a lot of ground. Um, I think he probably defends with quite a lot of effort, even if he doesn't defend in- incredibly um, smartly. And I think... Like as I've said before, he's appealing to all coaches because of his his rawness. He's obviously got a huge amount of talent and ability, but he makes poor decisions. So every coach fancies himself as the man to finally unlock Lucas Mora. Hmm. Um, and you know, t- manager after manager has not you know educated him in being aware of the players around him. So I don't know. It's very uh, like for the first couple of games back from lockdown. Um, I could give it more of a pass because we knew less about like the relative fitness of all these players, but I I can't see a reason that Lucas needs to be playing you know nearly the full ninety every game, <laughs> uh, you know three days apart, and and um, Bergvine who is just for me in every way a superior footballer can't. So it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. He has a particularly frustrating style about him. Um, he's not a bad player, obviously. It's it, I, I think. It's easy for 
me <laughs> to like allow my frustration about him to paint him as if he's poor but he's not he's he's very skilled um he's a high level player but the means by which he puts his abilities to use is extremely frustrating and i think he does he does make more sense in this sort of setup that we're using at the moment where we're we're countering into space a lot that he should be thriving more than he is in this in this situation yeah he's a, he's a player i think who who visibly looks like he's working a lot and the way he yeah. charges down the defenders is always going to endear himself towards the crowd and some managers as well but i think in a in, in a quite a structured formation that has a lot of the ball i, I just don't think he's very useful and he's shown that in his in his output over this um, over this break over this post lockdown period that I, I don't think he's producing enough to warrant a starting place and warrant the kind of minutes he's getting on the pitch. It's not just his output over this period, mate. It's his output since he joined Spurs. And I have to disagree with Nathan to be honest. I don't think Lucas Moura is a high level player. I think okay. I think he has a high level reputation because of the clubs he's played for. <laughs> I, I don't think it's justified. Honestly, I really don't think it's justified. I, I'm you know he. He, he came through as an exciting young talent because he was a really good dribbler and he's really fast. And those things are still true. He's a really good dribbler and he's really fast. But if you, it, it, it's kind of like how Adama Traore was before he, he worked out that there's more to football than just charging at players. You know, if you don't put that dribbling to good use, it's it's pointless and it's worse than pointless because you're you're a possession black hole which is what yeah. Lucas has become it's kind of you give the ball to Lucas Mora to run up defense but if every time you run up the defense you either lose the ball or make a bad decision when when you get past a defender th- there's no point giving the ball to Lucas Mora it's incredibly frustrating he reminds me i mean we we we've, we've used um Nathan Redmond as a as an analogy before but he reminds me of Nathan Redmond when Nathan Redmond was 21 um and actually i think he's he's probably developed into a more complete player now but it's this kind of childishness of just head down run with the ball and to some degree Son is the same type of player he gets his head down and he 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 wants to run at defenders the difference between Son and Lucas is that Son is a brilliant brilliant finisher of both feet and he'll get his head up and he'll he'll take a shot and he'll create a yard and take a shot Lucas doesn't do that so he'll occasionally stumble through into a position where he can take a shot and occasionally his finishing is good but he's so unproductive generally or has been for Spurs uh, I, I just don't think he's anywhere near good enough for, for where we want to be I don't think he's good enough I, I think personally that he's a lower level Premier League player or an upper championship level footballer no, I think you've been a bit harsh by <laughs> calling him championship but um, I could definitely see him working at a, at a lower level Premier League team for sure mid, mid well we are a mid table team at the moment <laughs> but, you know, mid to lower Premier League team yeah I, I could see him working somewhere and, and being actually quite impressive and then probably tempting a bigger club to make another bid for him right but no no sort of lower prem team is going to be able to afford him so i don't see i don't know what happens with his career next to be honest uh, unless like a chinese club comes in for him um galatasaray or turkish yeah that that's true that's true i don't know if that's a thing anymore but they certainly used to waste a lot of money on abject mm. players um but... it's true with nathan odor all of the things you did as well basically you can't trust nathan's they'll always let you down <laughs> But I mean, uh, he's such a favourite of Mourinho's anyway. He's probably he's probably stuck with Lucas for <laughs> another season. Yeah. Yay. Um, I mean, it's been, it's been a while since we've shit on Lucas, so that felt good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in in terms of XG, it was about level this game. Uh, obviously, we yeah. got the own goal, uh, which is a big help. But Son had a couple of helpful, h- hopeful shots that were f- fairly close. And we had a header. I think Eric Dyer had a header from a set piece, which was fairly close. There there weren't a lot of good chances in this game. Uh, but it's it's one of these. It was one of these games where you know we we'd been taken apart by Sheffield United, and had we gone out there and just gone gone for it and been taken apart again. It would have been like what are we what are we trying to get here. I don't think we don't think we have the team to be able just to get hold of the ball and just dominate people in a, in the attacking third. And I don't think we have the team to to marmalize teams to marmalize our opponents. So I think what Mourinho said is like okay, we're we're going to at least try and be a bit defensive and see what we can get from here. I think I think Spurs as as a dull team for the rest of the season can be reasonably effective, more effective than we can be to try and be a, a progressive team because we don't have the players to do that. Pretty much. But Bardi, so so what you're saying is this was a reaction to the Sheffield United game that he set up just to grind out a win. 
and do whatever whatever he can under the circumstances to get a win to follow up Sheffield United. And if that is the case, uh, how hopeful do you feel about the style of football we might play next season? Well, next season there's going to be changes. Players will be moved on and players will come in, and then it, then it has to change. But if we imagine, I'd take a one nil every week and then win the league. You know, <laughs> would you? I would. Yeah, of course I would take it. I would take a dull Mourinho season and win the league for sure. You're telling me you wouldn't? I don't think you can win the league with a dull Mourinho season. So I no. think it's I think no, it's a moot point. No, well, I can... want you to answer the hypothetical. Yeah. Say again, Nath. I want you to answer the hypothetical. I want you to take it as given. If you take it as 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 possible that you could win the league with 38 one nils, <sighs> would you take it? I think if we were to have 38 drab one nils like that Everton game, mm. I think I would probably. <laughs> Go off football, or go off Spurs. But your team have just won the league, Chris. Not only that, but they've set a points record, uh, a thirty-eight win streak. Yeah. Uh, so I would love Spurs to win the league almost more than anything. Um, yeah. You know, I've supported this club for over thirty years, and you've you've had to put up with some. <laughs> yeah. It's a big deal between me and my family. Um, I'm people know me as a Spurs fan, so at work, people like one of the core values they see in me is he supports yeah. Spurs. It is embedded within my personality and my persona. If we won the league playing that, that. brand that we, <laughs> that we saw yesterday, it would be very difficult for me to enjoy it. That's not that's not what I see as as football or enjoyment. I I follow this team for various reasons, but one of them is because the sport excites me. The the game of football excites me. Watching Spurs play excites me. And I would really struggle just to sort of grind out a league title. I mean, of course I would celebrate it. Of course I would. But I wouldn't enjoy it. Imagine the first 10 games we called uh, the famous double winning team of winning our first 10 games of the season 1-0. You're going to be having a party. It's going, it would, you know, it's not, of course it's not interesting, but Tottenham, we've, we've tried, we tried a lot of things, but we've never tried to be boring. Maybe that's where we're missing out. <laughs> maybe we just need to, maybe we just need to get the fundamentals right. Let's defend a bit better. Stop throwing the ball in our net and see where we can go from there. And once you have a bit of confidence, I'm not if we won 12 1-0 games, mm-hmm. by the time you get to the 13, the team is going to have a little bit more confidence and then perhaps you'd see some flowering but I would I would take a league title in anyway I'll take a league title with the six six teams above us all getting done for gambling yeah. and I, I would yeah. take that title I'd take anything windy man I'm, I'm tired I, of not winning anything scraps. I, I'd take I'd take the I'd take that one more that's that's a banter title that's good fun <laughs> and you're telling me 38 one nils is not banter <laughs> yeah yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'm struggling. I'm. Mm. I, this feels like a good time to talk about the Mourinho fans that found me on Twitter. Um, yep. So, I mean, we'll come on to this briefly in a minute, but Mourinho made some comments pre-Everton, um, pre post-Sheffield United, about the lack of desire. And I tweeted a, a bit about this. And what I found was um, a bunch of Mourinho fans who, I hasten to add, aren't Spurs fans, but do some of them do have Spurs now in their bio, and they'll, they'll have things like temporary supporting Tottenham. Yep. They, they tracked me down on Twitter. Someone obviously like retweeted me, and a bunch of them, found me and oh my god they are so weird I had no idea these people existed I mean I, I had heard about Mourinho fanboys before but I just assumed it was like no, no, <laughs> the people no. that supported the club that he was at I have, a, I, have a, I have a theory on this and it's something that I think Tottenham Hotspur we've never gone out and signed a, a Galactico manager so there's there's a few managers out there who are almost bigger than the teams that they that they represent Guardiola um, <laughs> Mourinho I'm struggling to find a third one now but anyway but, uh, Bielsa these kind of guys who, who who will always be bigger than the team they manage and we've gone and taken a manager that's done kind of groundbreaking things at Porto at Chelsea Inter did some good things at Real and then back again at Chelsea so you've got you've got fans from around the world who've never seen this guy before and he turns out at a club and all of a sudden starts winning stuff and then he goes somewhere else and starts winning and the, these fans who don't have any kind of family ties perhaps or any kind of community ties or kind of even geographical ties 
ties to their club just end up following him around and around and around. And I think Mourinho's kind of earned this kind of mystique and this um, cult status because of, of what he has done and winning two European trophies at Porto, um, doing the treble at Inter, winning the their first kind of proper, well, winning the Champions League for the first time since the 60s and then going to, and then at Chelsea as well, who Chelsea before Mourinho were a team that won the occasional trophy, but he ended up building a, a, a beast of a team that went on to like take control of trophies and it was his team his first team you could still link that all the way back to the all the way forward to their Champions League success so you can see why he has this mystique and why he has fans of his that will follow him around and this I think this is just part and parcel of modern football we will see that more fans becoming transient as as they start supporting individuals uh, Hume Ming Son for example we have a massive fan base who would just move when he leaves us so I, I don't think it's anything new is it weird yes but that's that's just kind of modern football and supporting a team from 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 far away, I think. Son is a cultural phenomenon in his country. I, I think he's he's a bit of a standout and he's different from them. But the the Mourinho one is a very particular thing. I I've been <laughs> I've been in contact with these characters for a little while now because I have launched a tirade of attacks on Jose Mourinho since uh, long before he was at Spurs. So I've I've had these characters and they have like they have Jose Mourinho in like monotone avies and mm. really cringy <laughs> Twitter ads and and. They will hound you and um, fill up your mentions with cry laugh emojis and um, talk in um, slang you've never heard before and all these things. And yeah, it's this particular type of person. And you see the exact same thing for Cristiano Ronaldo. You see the exact same thing for Conor McGregor. And it's these these particular type of characters who are these sort of... um, Highly, highly successful, um, but also arrogant men who are these sort of self-professed winners, uh, as if winning itself is an isolated and unique and specific skill. And I think it really, it really draws the attention of like impressionable young men and teenagers especially i think that um not to like not that it's always the case and not to like throw a blanket sort of psychoanalysis for all of them but i think in a lot of the cases we're talking about teenage boys who are lacking a father figure in their life and they see these these men who are winners and they attach themselves and they say this is the man that i will choose to to follow and I will. Uh, they ascribe to this this very sort of self help kind of theory thing. If if I believe I will succeed, I will succeed. And um, I think that's very very attractive. But if there are any you know fourteen year old boys listening to this podcast, uh, that's not true. Like you have to be good at things to succeed at things. And while self belief is incredibly helpful so is humbleness so is listening to others so is self-critique so is developing over time um recognizing your own mistakes etc etc um so yeah he has this very particular strange cult um but we have to recognize that essentially they are either kids or they are mentally kids and that is why they are drawn to him but i i just i think this is also just the way that football is going now people don't have time and patience to to commit to to a club so they'll quite happily just kind of follow a player they like um yeah and, and I, th- follow- I think you're both right i think you're both right to be honest i think that football is definitely going that way Bardi. and particularly as it becomes more globalized and people don't necessarily have a reason to support a club mm. uh they might have a reason to support a player instead so they'll pick the and player rather than the club Mourinho is the biggest the biggest signing our club has made in its history in modern times perhaps our dealers back back in um after the World Cup in 78 was was huge but football was a very very different world then since in, I don't know in the last 20 years who who matches Mourinho in terms of, in terms of exposure and by and maybe this is what Spurs wanted they they got one of the biggest managers in the world and with it comes the rest of the yeah the rest of the cult I, I think the second he moves on though the the, the cult moves on um, yes, it's, it's sure. not like it's not like with Son where we've probably attracted a whole bunch of yeah, Korean fans I think fans. you have fans for life out of them even if Son moves on 
I think that they have. Whereas, yeah, Mourinho fans are attached to Mourinho alone. I think, like for example, we have a lot of American fans who you know followed Clint Dempsey or Brad Friedel or a combination mm, of the two, yeah. but are now you know they still years later wake up at seven a.m. on a Saturday to go to a pub in New York and and watch Spurs play, and they their love for Spurs is greater than the love they ever had for for the Americans who played for us. I think that's probably true of a lot of the Korean fans. Whereas, yeah, <laughs> Mourinho fans will simply change their Twitter rants to wherever he's at next. And to be honest, I think they might end up hating Spurs. Yeah, no, they because will. I, I don't see this ending well, personally, and I, I think they'll want to blame Spurs for this. I mean, you used the words, you both used the word cult, and that explains the experience I had last few days <laughs> with these people. It's they're almost they remind me of like anti-vaxxers very in a yeah. sense that they they just repeat the same mantras over and over it's very strange it's very peculiar they're using the kind winners is another thing i, I saw them use a lot <laughs> and it was often in caps so they would yeah. say he is a winner your club doesn't deserve him all these kind of things um and it's like it is like it's, it is it's, it's they're using mantras they're using the same words over and over again because that's what their cult is built on it's built on a series of words and phrases which add up to create this mystique of Mourinho as a as a father yeah. figure as Nathan put it um it's incredibly bizarre I wasn't I wasn't expecting it and I had to just block them in the end because yeah, no, like, I, I ended up I tried to reason with a couple of them and then I suddenly realized what was happening and I was like oh okay this isn't a conversation <laughs> this is this is me headbutting the wall There's yeah literally no point trying to engage they're just so weird and then you kind of scan down their timelines and you realize they're just going through person by person anyone who says anything bad about Mourinho they're quote retweeting and laughing at them and mocking them and, and saying Mourinho's the best Mourinho's the best over and over again I mean they must spend half a day doing it it's so odd <laughs> it, but that's new to me anyway that's, bizarre, that's my man. new discovery I mean if Mourinho wins 38 games 1-0 next year <laughs> I, I will join the cult and I will worship at the altar of Mourinho <laughs> So what did you think of Mourinho's comments, um, specifically the ones after Sheffield United before Everton? But I mean, we can also throw in the quote from post-Everton where he says, a team of nice boys can only win at the end of the season the Fair Play Cup, which is a thing I've never won and I'm not interested in winning. You need to grow up in your mentality and your consistency, which is kind of on point with what he was saying before about the the lack of desire um, disturbing him and destroying him a little bit inside. Buddy, do you have any views on, on these quotes from Mourinho I mean Tottenham's mentality is something that we've spoken about at length and it's something which which can be at times weak and I, I don't know I don't know where to stand with these is it going to be good only Mourinho only time will tell that's always the way with these comments is it going to end up like Sherwood perhaps is it going to have a, an invigorating effect and, and push the players on we don't know most of the time when a manager calls out a player it doesn't have it doesn't have a good effect but we have to see if we winning football matches changes everything and all these comments become nothing if we go and beat Bournemouth then beat Arsenal all of a sudden life is good again and football makes you forget everything and I'm not I'm not too upset I'm not upset I'm not kind of it doesn't fill me with like kind of passion of look at look how much of his look how much desire he's got so even I'm I'm sitting on the fence on these it doesn't really bother me Nathan um, I mean we immediately saw the response to Mourinho's uh, comments was Hugo calling out Son for essentially giving up a piece of defensive work and it led to quite a kind of angry exchange on the pitch which is very unusual I don't think we've seen that from Spurs players for many years if ever Um, what did you make of that and what do you think of Mourinho's comments (laughs) it's weird man the whole thing's really weird Uh, Hugo does have this sort of streak of like he's one of those quiet guys I mean he's not actually quiet but you know what I mean one of those unassuming polite gentle calm guys who will then like explode in a fit of rage uh, very very rarely when he's upset and I think he had that with Son like not tracking a runner or not putting a challenge in or something Um, it's weird I think people are mostly the Spurs reaction has been a positive one because they're just pleased to see uh, firstly um, any kind of sign of intensity and passion from Spurs players and also something interesting happening in that game um 
it's it's weird and i find Mourinho's comments really uh frustrating because uh, firstly the fair play award is awarded to the team who get the least cards and we've been at the opposite end of that for years and years and years so he's painting this image he's he's doing the like lads it's tottenham thing the spursy thing and it's just it's fucking bollocks man it's not been true for a long time um it's a true if you say that it's true if you create an illusion around it and you buy into it and you believe it then you make us soft and it's just a way of putting the blame on the players and i i refuse it i think it's i think it's nonsense oh mate you yeah i couldn't have said it better i completely agree i'm so i wrote about this over the weekend Mm. and i was really surprised when i was tweeting about it how many people were saying yeah but he's right yeah but he's right yeah but he's right and i'm like okay there's two things here there's there's whether he's right or not and i don't personally believe that spurs showed a lack of passion against sheffield united i think they should have lack of concentration a lack of tactics a lack of ability and uh a lack of there was no response to sheffield united's very basic tactic which we all know about which is the centre-back overlapping um but also there's whether you think Mourinho saying it in public is going to have a positive impact on the squad and that is for me the bigger point like I if he genuinely thinks that the squad is showing a lack of desire and effort then I think it's fine for him to call them out on it behind closed doors I think doing it in public like you say is it's it's very sort it's deflection it's deflection Mm. away from him and it comes across as he's throwing his players under the bus and blaming them for, you know, what Maurizio Pochettino would have said is a sort of team... It's a team. It's everyone in together. You know, they are one. The the coach is part of the the unit, part of the squad. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that Pochettino was perfect either. He, he slipped up in some of these post-match um, press conferences and particularly when things started going badly for him he would much more regularly call the players out which he didn't do during his his peak years and that is definitely a thing like I'm not whitewashing that um I, I find it really unhelpful I find the kind of toxic masculinity like really uncomfortable listening it feels very old-fashioned um whether some players who have kind of traditional values will buy into it and give that extra 10% remains to be seen but I am absolutely guaranteeing you there will be some players who will be alienated from this but you're right but Pochettino did it I mean I just did a quick search 2017 against Leicester away he said the exact same thing the players got no fight they I was disappointed in the collective the fight and everything else so it, this is this isn't a, um, a Mourinho thing this is something that all managers do at some point so I I think I think along with the narrative of Spurs underperforming and Spurs individuals not looking interested. This is just something that is just just magnified it. But I don't think it's I don't think it's an issue if the players respond to it. And there's no reason to say that they won't respond to it. We, we've had a response post Sheffield United where we, we've won a game and got a clean sheet. A, a clean sheet is something that we don't get very often. And yes, we were helped by Everton being absolutely woeful. But still, <laughs> you've got to you've got to take you've got to take some positives and take some some um, take a positive from it that there was a. Re- Action, there was a clean sheet and there was Hugo calling out Sun for what was essentially a, a lazy bit of play. So I don't think I don't think it's a negative thing that he's doing. This is it is it what I want to see from my team and my manager? No, but it, this isn't new. 2017, Pochettino was doing exactly the same thing. So Nathan, before we move on from the the matches. In the Everton match, we saw Ndombele on the bench again. Mm. We saw Sessegnon completely out of the squad, and we saw Dennis Serkin on the bench, who is a much more defensive left-back, granted, but you know, ultimately plays the same position as Sessegnon. Were you surprised by that decision? Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, like, I spe- the thing with Sessegnon has been that, like, um, there's a lot of competition for attacking midfield places. His future, his best possible future probably lies at left-back, but we're utilising a defensive left-back. Whereas in this game, for the first time under Mourinho in quite a while, uh, or since, okay, at least since post-lockdown, obviously, we Sessegnon's last game was, um, we played Leipzig we with a back three. But more generally, we've been playing a lot of defensive left-back Ben Davies kind of thing. In this game, we play Davies in a more attacking role uh, especially while we played with a back three but even after that we continued with a more even shaped defence and, and both full backs pushing on a bit and you would think 
this is a game for Sessegnon to be subbed on late and get some minutes. Um, now, I appreciate the Serkin is a talent in his own right. I appreciate that Mourinho is keen on him. Um, but I, I really dislike the idea of one being detrimental to the other. Um, I have to repeat myself that Sessegnon is a really, really special, talented young player. We bought, you know, a, a young player who was a capable Premier League fullback uh, and uh, an impressive um, Premier League winger. Very young, English, bags and bags of talent, and we haven't played him much. It's really frustrating. Um, I hope that there is a reason. I hope that he picked up a knock or there was some mild falling out or, I don't know, illness, whatever, um, because... I, I can't understand how how you justify not having Young on the bench for that game when you have the extended bench size and the extended substitution availability. I, I I don't think there's any reason, mate. I don't think there's any reason. If there was if there was a good reason, like a knock, he would have said that. He was asked directly, you know, Young wasn't on the bench. And his point was, uh, Serkin was, I like this kid, he works hard, kind of thing. Which mm. wasn't necessarily saying he worked harder than Ryan Young, but that's certainly the way it came across. Yes. Uh, and, and I thought, that was a point I thought that was a pointed remark personally uh, of course I would say that I'm anti Mourinho I've got an agenda against him <laughs> you're not a winner it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. In light of Ndombele and Sessegnon being out of the team, out of the squad in Sessegnon's case, uh, it's come to light today through reporting by Dan Kilpatrick that Barcelona have inquired about Ryan Sessegnon and about Tongi Ndombele uh, in in what has been described as a, a potential player plus cash transfer. Um Buddy, what do you make? What do you make of these links? Do you think it's any kind of realistic way that <clears throat> some kind of swap deal between Spurs and Barcelona could happen? Well, Messi's unsettled, so maybe <laughs> maybe there's something happening there. But um, it's I don't know, it's madness. I, I, for Barcelona, for Barcelona, I, they, they don't. First of all, I don't think they have the money to go out and buy Ndombele outright. Um, I guess it would be a loan or something. Um, I don't I don't expect anything to come of this. I reckon it's just it's a, it's a lot of nonsense to be honest. Nathan, how about you? Does it surprise you that they're interested in our boys? It doesn't surprise me that they'd be interested. You know, mm. that's sort of the if you if you can find really special talent that is being uh, not used <laughs> by another club, that's that's your ideal sort of swoop. Um, I don't think Barcelona have a lot to offer us. Um, a lot of the obviously they have ridiculous talent to their club, but they're all old. Um, Messi's old, Griezmann's old, Suarez is old, uh, Terst again is getting old, Rakitic is old, Busquets is old. You know they have a really aging squad, which is why they need to get in the likes of Ndombele and Sessegnon. Um, but they don't have a huge amount to offer us in return. Uh, Dan Kilpatrick wrote in his piece. He pointed out he did uh, the research and found that Barcelona are willing to part with Semedo, Rakitic, Mtiti and Coutinho. Those are the players who are who have already sort of been put up for availability, not specifically for this case. I don't think that I mean Mtiti is good but getting old. Coutinho 28 now. Semedo decent 26. Rakitic is ancient. Man. It's just none of that is appealing to me. For me, Barcelona's appealing players are Frankie de Jong who they're not going to let go of at all. Usman Dembele, who maybe, but 
this we're talking about wingers again, which you know <laughs> don't set me up on that. And then they do have a bunch of like young young players: uh, Puig, Emerson, Elena, uh, Fatty, Miranda. You know, um, I don't think they're going to trade us a bunch of their like under twenty three stars. <laughs> and I don't know, it's weird. The whole thing. It it worries me. It really worries me that we're going to be drawn into making some absurd transfer decisions under Mourinho that short-term may be functional, may be rewarding, may make us safe, but long-term are terrible financial decisions and terrible talent decisions. Um, they also reported um, between Kilpatrick and, and Jack Fitbrook, I can't remember which one, that, that, yeah, that he's... The specific wording was slightly vague, but it looks like he's definitely turned down the option of selling Sessegnon, but hasn't definitely turned down, and when I say he, I mean Mourinho here, turned down the possibility of, of selling Ndombele. Um, it would be really, really terrible <laughs> to see either of those players leave. The more I see what Mourinho's done with our um, squad and tactics post-lockdown, the more I fear that Ndombele is leaving us um already i see a midfield that is very functional you know even the celso is if if you take your interpretation uh, of of the everton match into consideration he's being pushed forward because his pressing is helpful um i don't think we're getting the best out of him uh, winks is playing a very functional role in in that 433 sissoko we know is playing a functional midfield role he is a functional player and he's being prioritized i don't think that he can trust ndombele to do the things he wants done consistently and it really upsets me that he could move on without having ever been given a proper chance. Um, I mean, we've had the conversation, Nathan, about who we'd prefer to lose, Mourinho or Ndombele, and I think we're both in agreement at this point that it's surely better to lose Mourinho than Ndombele uh, for, for a whole multitude of reasons. But even financially, you know, if we sold Ndombele now, we're going to have lost value on him. Like tens of millions of pounds, and then he will grow back in value to massively, uh, you know, uh, uh, he he will inflate oh, in value yeah exactly to, to well over and above what we all played for our, in our initial outlay yeah. so we're losing money if we if we sack Mourinho we lose money if we if we sell Ndombele we lose money either way we're losing money yep. either, none of those you know financially neither of those things are good decisions football wise I would much rather see Tongi and Dombele play for Spurs than I would Jose Mourinho manage Spurs next season but I think I think we're stuck with Mourinho for another year at least probably yeah and I think that means Ndombele is a goner and I'm gutted um, and if Sessegnon does stay I suspect we won't see a lot of him maybe he'll go on loan there's an element to like a, a degree to which you have to yeah, like okay, Pochettino came in. He got rid of Etienne Capou, who I think was a good player. If you look at um, Guardiola getting rid of Ronaldinho in his first season at Barcelona, um, uh, then doing similar stuff again at Bayern Munich. Look at the the players that Mourinho has ditched and then won titles with. Like obviously, <laughs> like that definitely works out in 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 the short term, and and you have to respect and allow managers to, sure. to cut talented players. Um, but I also think Ndombele is is such a huge asset, and that we just as a club, whereas United can afford to irritate and bench Pogba for a year, whereas Chelsea can afford to lose Matter, can afford to lose. De Bruyne can afford to lose Salah and then just replace not like for like but continue to bring in similar talents just the next summer and bring brilliant academy players through their enormously financially inflated academy the next season um we can't we can't afford to just lose Ndombele we can't unless our scouting dramatically improves which I, I guess you could say is a plausible route but I I assume that losing Ndombele losing Sessegnon is going to do us years of harm in return for some steadiness now maybe, maybe he sees Ndombele as a way of um, building up some a transfer kitty as such so that he can get in some 30-year-olds. 30-year-old old stages <laughs> that he can trust, who've got the appropriate levels of desire. Um, when you were talking about Ronaldinho there, mate, you um, you reminded me that you and I both got linked to a lecture by uh, Professor Damien Hughes. Yeah. It's called Why Commitment Culture Wins, and it, it's kind of... It uses Barcelona as a case study to explain the concept of commitment culture. It was linked to us by Talking Spurs Pod, so thank you very much, Talking Spurs Pod, for that link. I've thoroughly enjoyed the lecture. It's like a 45-minute listen. Just listen to it like a podcast. It's brilliant. Um, and, and it talks about the sort of... 
that the uh, the blueprint of Barcelona, what they determine are, the, are their core values and how they ensure that um, those are, how do I, I don't even know how to phrase this, how they ensure that those values are instilled throughout the club so that everyone's doing the same things and goes to on to achieve what they want to achieve. And what they did with Ronaldinho, what they found was that he had this kind of party boy lifestyle, which was having an impact mm-hmm. on the rest of the squad. So I think it was 10 of the first team squad members got divorced from their partners in like the two years while this was ongoing. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And um, they noticed that a 17 year old Lionel Messi got picked up for drink driving, having been to a party at Ronaldinho's um, house or a party that he'd arranged. So they decided to get rid of Ronaldinho because although he was a brilliant player, he wasn't kind of fulfilling the needs of the Barcelona blueprint. And in fact, he was leading their young players astray. Now, of course, if Mourinho's got like some values and identity that he wants to instill in Spurs and Ndombele is raging against those and causing a problem with the squad in kind of, for example, if one of them is desire, say his core value is desire and he's not seen that from Ndombele who trains really poorly, who warms up lethargically, doesn't seem to give a shit about um, running up and down the touchline before coming on as a sub. Maybe he feels, you know, mm. he's he's a cancer on this core value of desire and he needs to do something about it, make a statement, get rid of him. And part of me is like, yeah, of course, like, do, you know, the manager should be given free reign to do what they need to do to get the squad to, to achieve what they want to achieve. <laughs> but it's, it's Jose Mourinho. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to achieve the things that he wants to achieve that are like grinding out 1-0 wins like we saw against Everton in this mind-numbing way. But then I have an anti-Mourinho agenda, so what do I know? Mm. But you also open yourself up to that. I'm not saying that I disagree with this, but would disagree with what you guys are saying. You make a lot of sense. But the moment you open yourself up to player power over a manager, then what's the point in having a manager? You hire the manager to do the job, and you're meant to you put your you you put your faith in him. But because he's misusing a player which doesn't fit into his plans, you um you fire the manager. So then what happens? You get the next manager in, and then that next manager you you sign Guardiola. Then Guardiola turns up and says, "And Dombele doesn't fit." My doesn't fit what I want for my place. What are you going to do? You're going to keep sacking managers until you find a manager that suits. At some point, at some point, you the the manager is in charge, and that's who the chairman puts his faith in. And players, players are the disposable assets, I guess. So it's just a question that what you're going to do. You're going to keep sacking managers until Endombele is happy. I think you're right, mate. I, I do. I, I think I think you're spot on, buddy. In terms of like, you you can't just you have to trust the manager to a degree to get the squad into the shape they want. However what we know is that Mourinho doesn't stick around long so we're going to have to do that anyway we're going to be reshaping our squad in a couple of years regardless um which is what like yeah that that's why I wouldn't do it the way that Barcelona have done with with them like with Pep Guardiola for example the I mean the other interesting thing that was mentioned in that lecture which you really should listen to is brilliant uh is that it's seen that managers only ever add an additional 10 percent onto Hmm. um what the team can achieve which is something I've not considered before, but I thought was interesting, and I guess it misses. I guess it misses out on the idea that uh, um, the manager is responsible responsible for creating the the team and its ethos as well. So. I'm not quite sure of that calculation of a ten percent, but it was it was some it was interesting nonetheless. Um, that's a lot of talk about Ndombele. It wasn't what I expected. It didn't go in the direction I expected it to go. Well, it's, it's about it's about principles of managers. And Ferguson used to cut away his big stars yeah. as well if they didn't yeah. if they didn't conform to how he wanted. And it's just a question of, of how you want your football team, how you want your football club managed. And I don't, I don't think there is I don't think there is an answer in an ideal world. They find a happy medium. Ndombele starts doing the things that Mourinho wants, and mm. Mourinho is a bit more accepting of Ndombele as a character and as a personality and as a young man that's what you kind of want but it, life doesn't always work like that sure so next up is Bournemouth uh, they're bottom of the form table they've lost their last five matches they're conceding basically three goals a match um, Dr Tottenham will see you now yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> Bournemouth yeah <laughs> <laughs> so interestingly about Bournemouth Nathan last match last time out they played two left-footed centre-backs in the heart of their defence. This is a conversation we had a couple of podcasts ago. Did they play Ake on the right? Who was... Uh, yes, Ake on the right and Lloyd Kelly on the left. Okay, That's interesting. Well, Ake is a, is a very um, technically gifted centre-half with the ball at his feet. Mm. Um, I mean, yeah, if you're going to do it with someone, he'd be the one, but yeah, risky. Bournemouth, Bournemouth are interesting to me at the beginning of the season because... Um, 
Eddie Howe has long been an interesting figure in management. Mm. Uh, he's often he was really heavily talked up by Gary Neville back when I was really into hearing whatever Gary Neville had to say. Um, so I've no, I don't mean that as a diss. Uh, uh, so I've been I've been interested to like get a kind of an assessment on Eddie Howe as a manager for a long time, and also for the entirety of that time, Bournemouth squad has been a mess. They just had a, a there's just been huge holes and, and huge issues with where they spent money yeah um so i've i've let him off the hook i've 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 given a non-judgment season after season after season and this season looked at their squad and i said this is a balanced squad this they finally put together a a, a, a mid-table capable squad let's see what eddie howe does with it this season and they're, they're a mess they're terrible so um Eddie Howe, not for me. The doctor will see you now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think his inability to sign a goalkeeper has harmed him as well. When, oh yeah, those, big time. In those yeah, in those first few seasons, the start the start of his kind of uh, Premier League campaigns, he had Boric in goal, and the guy would cost him so many goals. And then I thought they'd fixed it with Begovic, but then that didn't help. And and then I don't know if you guys remember, but when we played them, and they gave a debut to that teenager Travers, who had <laughs> yeah, yeah. he had a levyashin of a game, and then uh, <laughs> and then since then he's never. He's never caught anything since. Uh, that was proper Dr. Tottenham. And I, I think had they managed to sign... I, I I always thought they should have signed Michelle Vaughan four years ago. And then I think I think they would have... I don't think they would be in the situation they are now. But they've been unlucky with injuries, man. They, they lose true. a lot of players. Uh, Brooks looked great last season and he's barely kicked the ball this year. I was about to say exactly the same thing. I don't think it's um, appropriate to defend Eddie Howe because, like Nathan says, he's made a real mess of things this year. Mm. Um, but you're, you're spot on to mention Brooks, who is a fantastic young player, but got injured like just as he was really starting to get going. Lewis Cook was another one that they brought in. Looked really, really, really good. Picked up a nasty injury, came back, picked up another injury. Out for a long time, struggling to now kind of put runner games together. They've had Josh King and Callum Wilson, who've kind of run hot and cold when they're really hot. They they look fantastic, and then they go off the boil and don't score for like five ten games. So it's really difficult to coach that to coach a team that's going through that. I think. Yeah, um, I, I I just want to talk about Billing as well because he's he's the most bizarre footballer I've ever seen. <laughs> I, my eyes are just drawn to him constantly because I I don't know I don't know if he's any good. I've, I don't know if he's amazing or he's awful. He because he's just got this really tall kind of rangy figure the way he moves around the pitch. He reminds me of a guy I used to play football with who was just like couldn't be bothered but was just incredibly gifted and he's I, I just can't stop watching him and um, I, I look I actually whenever Bournemouth's on I look forward to seeing him kind of lope around the pitch <laughs> so how do you think this one's going to go Nath? Uh, you know, the doctor will see you now obviously um <sighs> I think we may well be in for another dull one. So <laughs> I said in the middle of the Sheffield United game when it was still 1-0 that, you know, we are now a dull functional team and obviously the scoreline didn't reflect that and that seemed like a bizarre take. But I think if you take the four games we've played, it, you know, since the since the return to football, post-lockdown football, that's very much what we've seen. Uh, against Everton, I think that like, yeah, we started moving the ball really slowly at first because we really come up with a, a smart idea to deal with Everton's pressure but there was a price to pay for that um I think like literally the first good attack we had we scored from never was interesting I mentioned never again never was digging into the passing of both teams just as like Tosoko made a diagonal run and we got a combination going and then we got a shot off and then Winks stepped up headed the ball to win it back and then it fell to Lacelso when it bounced off Michael Keane and that was it we had one attack we scored from it and after that it was Let's just shut this game down entirely and see out the win. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see. I mean, that, that's kind of the thing with this style of football is that it's entirely or it's hugely, hugely reliant on being able to manipulate the scoreline in your yeah. favour, right? If you're a goal up, you can make the rest of the game a non-event. If they're a goal up, you're kind of in trouble. You you have to push even though you're not used to pushing and, and expose yourself. And I think that's kind of what happened against Sheffield United. Um, so it's going to be treading that line again against Bournemouth so we have some questions <laughs> and it's live <laughs> <laughs> 
First question is from Ricky TFC of the Fighting Cock Podcast. The boy. He says, knowing how Jose Mourinho plays and the current players available, how do you see us lining up formation and team-wise next season? Under Poch, it was mostly 4-2-3-1 and we'd press high up the pitch to win the ball back. Mourinho uses the same formation, but our wingers tuck in more and make it harder for the opposing team to break us down. We seem to be overrunning midfield at times. Can you see a world where we switch to 4-3-3 like against Everton? He, he signs off. Long-time listener. A huge fan of Windy, Nathan, and the other chap. <laughs> so, what do you think, Bards? Uh, I thought you were going to go to Nathan. I thought you were going to go to Nathan first, but um, I, I can I see a I'd world. Go to the other chap instead. <laughs> <laughs> I can see. I can see a world where we play four three three. I, I, I think. I think we have players to kind of suit that system. But then I did kind. Of, I did kind of like the four two three one yesterday. I did think it looked a little bit more stable. I think with changing of individuals here and there. But I think. Our midfield looking so open is, I think our press, our counter press is pretty poor and we can be played through quite easily, which then exposes our sitting man. So I I think it's hard to say where we're going to go with this team now because it, there's so many holes in it and I don't think there's a formation that suits it. Personally, I would like to see a 4-3-3 and a combination in that three of Lo Celso, a holder and Endombele, if I could pick a fantasy three. And then a forward three of Bergwijn, Son and Kane. That's, that's what I would go with. How about you? Yeah, I think Mourinho is still trying to make his mind up about whether he wants to go four two three one or four three three, and 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 still testing and trying things out. Um, I do think that we played with our wingers inside quite a lot under Pochettino. I don't think there's a huge amount of difference between the sort of positional setup of Pochettino's four two three one and Mourinho's four two three one. But yeah, I don't know. He he's still he's still trying to figure things out and work things out. I guess it depends on who we may or may not buy and may or may not sell based on our shape. But it's going to be similar. Like it's the, the shape isn't going to dictate our style at all. I think we're going to see a very similar approach, uh, regardless of, of of the the phone number that we put out there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was I was just going to add yeah, that we've all all throughout Pochettino's reign, we've kind of we've relied on our fullbacks to give us width, and that was that was why the, our our wingers did cut inside. Um, I don't I don't think we're going to see that from Mourinho. I don't think we're going to see much width coming from our fullbacks. His reluctance to play um, Cessignon, and well, we've only got Aurier Aurier right back. So yeah, I I don't I don't know. I I couldn't I couldn't make a, a judgment now of what formation we're going to see next year. I think it's going to be um, depending on what happens in. The transfer market but I don't expect any kind of revolutionary football to happen I think it depends as much on outgoings as ingo incomings and I think if he were to get an offer for one of our fringe players that was too good to turn down then he'd probably accept it and that might then dictate whether he plays a three-man midfield or a two-man midfield it also depends on Dombele because to fit him in you probably play 4-3-3 if he gives up on him, then he'll probably play 4-2-3-1. Um, in terms of incomings, I suspect Huibier is kind of nailed on at this point. It just seems so It seems so likely. All the rumours suggest that contact's already been made, he's been left out of their team, etc, etc. I think he'll try and upgrade Aurier, which I don't think will be difficult. I think there are plenty of players that are better than Aurier, and it'll be very easy to upgrade on him. I don't think Max Ahrens is one of those players, although it seems like the link's there. Um, I mean, I've said before that I think if you're going to sign Max Ahrens then you might as well just keep Walker Peters, who personally I believe is a better footballer, but you know equally um, physically small and able to get dominated. He uh, he's having a good time at Southampton right now. Walker Peters, he's had a couple of strong games on the bounce. I think Southampton are getting interested in keeping him. Which I mean, I just assumed would be in a swap deal with Huibia, and it would kind of help mitigate some of the post-COVID financial issues that teams are likely to face. You know, we just trade Walker Peters for Huibia, and, and at one point it was looking like we'd give them some money. Maybe it looks like now that they'll give us some money. <laughs> um, who knows? Uh, and I think we'll. I do think we'll sign a striker. I think we'll try and sign a striker to to give Kane some support and also a rest. Milik seems like the one that we're we're being strongly linked with. So where we, like Milik, Aaron's and Huibier would not surprise me as three incomings like that just seems to kind of fit what I expect us to go for and, and the links are already there um, yeah so that's kind of what I'm expecting so if we're, if we're swapping fullbacks for uh, like fullbacks that we've loaned out for other players you reckon we're swapping Danny Rose for Alan St. Maximum then oh yes please yes please he's, he's so not your type of player though Wendy I'm very surprised by this <laughs> he's definitely not a Mourinho player but he's bloody good fun <laughs> he's a lovely lovely footballer really nice feet good technique yeah I like Sam Maximum a lot really 
really like him. Big, big fan. I, <laughs> he's fine. Like <laughs> He's okay. I don't understand. Newcastle fans, I don't know if they still are, but they were extremely excited about him. I, I get that Newcastle are in, in a, a brilliantly strong place, but like, man, uh, he's yeah, <laughs> he's okay. <laughs> he, he, stri- yeah. he strikes me as a better Zaha. Wow. I think that's... I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm not convinced of that. And what I mean by that is, before anyone says that I'm just comparing them because they're black with dreadlocks, um, actually, it's like their play style is quite similar. No, they, 100%. They no. both start wide and, and are very direct in terms of running towards goal. They both do a lot by themselves. So they're, they're not getting a lot of support from the rest of their team because they're like one of two or three attacking players at any one time. Yeah. And so there's no one close to them to work off. So they have to like take responsibility for beating two or three men at any one point to create. And he's he's very effective at doing that. I they really both like have those, They both have those really gangly long gates that they use to keep changing the direction of the ball and which foot the ball's on as well. Mm. I mean, he, he He's going to be a lot of fun for Newcastle for the next few years if they can keep hold of him. Um, Javad, Motherheady. Hello, Javad. Long time no speak. He says, would you take Danny Ings, 28 years of, old, years of age, proven Premier League experience, got goals at Burnley and Southampton, perfect backup to Kane or alternate option when Kane needs a rest? English too, so meets the criteria and the quota for homegrown players. Discuss. Are you a fan of Ings, Buddy? I'm not. Um, I'm not not a fan. I don't. I don't mind him. He doesn't excite me too much. Um, I'd. I'd take him. I. I still don't. I still think I'd like to hear what Nathan thinks of someone like Richarlison. That um, someone that could play that role and not and also play wide at the same time. I'd like to hear what. I'd like to hear his thoughts on Richarlison. Yeah. No. I think someone who can also play wide is the way to go. Um, Richarlison is someone who I, he really caught my eye. Like the second he arrived at Watford, I hadn't seen him before. I think he came from Brazil before he was at Watford. Maybe he was in Europe. I don't know. Anyway, uh, he was interesting then. I think now he's at Everton. He's like completely, completely out of our price range. Um, But I think someone who's a bit like him... Uh, for example, Ollie Watkins at Brentford, who yeah. I've recently found out has an eighteen million pound release clause, used to play wide a lot, now plays up top. For me, like <laughs> no question, that would be a good deal for us. Yeah, Watkins is a really, really good player. I like, I like Ings. I really like Ings. I think he's he suffered injuries at just the wrong times. He's been very unfortunate in that respect. Um, I mean, in hindsight, Liverpool wise. They probably should have hung on to him because he's better than Narigi, but they've won the league, so how, you can't really question their huh. decision making in terms of transfers. Um, but Ings is a very, very talented player. Like should have played, should have been in a lot more England squads and played a lot more minutes for England over the years. He's a really good finisher, but he's also a good kind of link player, and he seems like the nicest man in the world. Like he's got his charitable foundation, which does lots of work for disabled children in Burnley. He still like makes a, a, a does a lot of work with that, which I think is wonderful and. It just seems like a, a good human being. I've noticed in the Southampton matches last couple I've watched, obviously, because Walker Peters has been playing, and I'm a Walker Peters fanboy in the same way that those guys love Mourinho. Uh, um, he, he he properly like puts an arm around Walker Peters. He seems like a mentor almost to him, which is really sweet. Okay, I think we're going to leave it there. We've got other questions, but we'll save them for next time. So if your question didn't get asked, then never fear, we'll come back to it. Um, but as ever, Buddy and Nathan, it's been a pleasure. Um, you know, we got a bit ranty at times didn't we but a bit more upbeat than the last one because we got a win as Barley said you've been listening to The Extra Inch thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production thanks to Barley for being Italian thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork thanks to David Lindner for our intro music you can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner do check him out he's great follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms and if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.